This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk for Tuesday, July the 16th. I'm your host, D.A., and one last big contract this NBA offseason. Perhaps. You never know with the NBA. But Ben Simmons gets a five-year, $170 million contract extension from the 76ers for a guy who's only played two seasons in the NBA has very much been invisible in some big spots and has never in his career made an NBA three-pointer. It's a lot of money for a guy like that, but the upside is obviously big, so was it worth it? Here's Marks and Reese on WIP in Philadelphia. Were you not going to sign him? I mean, come on, you were going to sign him. He has value. Of course. So yes. you sign him, he tells you to trade him or you trade him yourself, <laughs> but he's he's a valuable asset. Yes. It makes no sense to play hardball or, yeah. or not sign him. No, no. I mean, especially if that's what your intentions are to do in the end. So signing him, uh, and when Joe and I were talking about it a couple weeks ago, my reluctance to sign him was the thing that, I, that worries me is this kid has basically – achieved star status and now he has a salary to match it without really putting forth the effort and the work in his game as he should as he should have not already all. not at all and so when you give him 170 million guaranteed max deal what's his incentive you're saying it's okay great job yes what's his incentive and so that's my only thing is I, I just I don't know if he's going to be if, if if it hasn't been important to him up to this point why why is it all of a sudden going to be so important to him now it doesn't mean he's never going to shoot a jump shot but if you think it's going to become a regular part of his game of his repertoire. well he would he would want to have to personally yes. do that he would have to see hey this isn't working. I, I want to add this to my game. I, I want to do this. I just he, he I don't think see, he's there yet, Ike. Cuz I don't think he sees himself as a scorer. He doesn't have a scorer a scorer's mentality. So when you don't have a scorer's mentality, you're not looking for other ways to score. I don't think he I don't think he's that, perfectly okay with scoring 14 points. I don't think that, I don't think <laughs> that he thinks there's any problem. No. At all. Cuz he said I became the number 1 pick without doing this. I become an all-star without doing it. And I've gotten a max deal without doing it. Mm-hmm. So I here's the good thing, though. Here's the good thing. Here's the good thing. Because I want people to think I'm bashing Ben because I'm not. Here's the good thing. He's got enough good players around him. He's got enough good players around him. Mm-hmm. But when we get to next May, in, next May, 
This will be an issue again. Well, he better he better be a different player. This will be or, an issue again. Or I, I I may not be able to physically take it. We got Roadshow tweeting now fifty wins again next season. Like that's something to be proud no, about. Andrew Porter I don't care about winning fifty games next year. Ninety four WIP dot com and our social media. He does he does everything. Yeah, he's tweet he's tweeting stuff out with exclamation points and it, the deal's done. Exclamation point. Okay, that's great. Whoop de damn do. All right, if we're if if they're not playing him in the guarding them in the playoffs again, yeah, that's a problem. Yes, yes, and we won't be going to the finals. I got it, finals or bust. Well, you're t- you're damn yeah. right. And guess what? They ain't going to the finals next year. <laughs> they no. they will they will not be a finals team next year. Tobias Harris, are you kidding me? You're maxing out Tobias Harris. Like I, really? I That's a max like that player. Man. I like. No, he's not. He's not a max player. Right? He's not. <laughs> no, he's, he's a not. good player. He's a good player, not a max but, player. But yeah, JT Real Muto is going to be <laughs> Tobias Harris. Harris is Real Muto. Real Muto is Harris. They're good players. Man, we better get to the finals next year, man. You have we got to. the number of the top two team in the East. It's, you, it's them in Milwaukee. You have to. It would be a huge disappointment. Eastern yeah. Conference Finals doesn't do yeah. it next year. No, 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 no. no, no. no. Meanwhile, you, you, you can't walk to the James Ennis can't walk into the finals. <laughs> you're one of the worst players on your team talking smack. Like seriously, dude. And, and you know the great part about it is world that that happened. We're on the air, and people are like, "Oh, sorry, no, no, don't don't even pay attention to it." Can you imagine who who's the equivalent on the Eagles? The same. We're walking to the Super Bowl. You know, like say Amalu or something. Not even uh, Mac Hollins. Yeah, Mac Hollins. Uh, <laughs> great, we're going to the Super Bowl. We're walking to the Super. Walking out of the East. I think it's worth it just because the Sixers now have a core four that they have locked up over the next four years. And it wasn't like you were going to go into the next four years and not have Simmons be part of it. It wasn't like he was a piece that you could take out. If Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and their newest addition, Al Horford, all have minimum four-year deals, then you add the four years to this deal with Ben Simmons, and you make sure that over the next four-year window, you have all these four guys ready to go, and you try to win a championship. Now, can it blow up in their face? Oh, absolutely. Because let's face it, Ben Simmons has not proven to be able to push his game to the next level out of sheer determination, hard work. Oftentimes, he seems to be floating out there and defiant in the face of criticism. But if this is your window to win, you cannot afford not to have Simmons be part of it. So you've just got to hope that even with the money now, as the guys were just talking about, this does not stop him or prevent him from wanting to take his game to the next level because he's all too comfortable. On to college football, it's talking season where we've got SEC media days, Big 12 media days, and plenty of the other conferences just around the corner with their coaches and players assembling for the media for preseason interviews and coverage. Here's longtime college football voice Tim Brando, who joined the Mac attack on WFNZ in Charlotte, heart of ACC country, who says the ACC, despite having the national champs, is actually the worst conference out of the Power Five. Three years ago, I thought the ACC was challenging. You know, the Sean Watson won the national championship the first time when, when they beat Alabama. I thought the league was really good. Uh, a lot of teams were were on the cusp of being good, but uh, through some some uh, you know you look at the changing rosters through the transfer portal on top of just maybe poor recruiting and coaching changes. You know Miami's still in the midst of, of transforming. You know under Manny Diaz, 
Uh, you had a, North Carolina had been really, really good, showing some signs of life, and then they took a deep nosedive. Florida State, I mean, who would have predicted that uh, it would have been as bad as it was uh, for them with their first-year coach, who I really like. You know, I, I, it just takes time uh, in college football. But not only are they worse than the Pac-12, Pac-12's got some interesting stories. Chip Kelly's in his second year. Uh, I think he's going to have a really good team, not a lot of depth, but a, a good team this year. Uh, Oregon, if they can keep Justin Herbert upright, keep him healthy, they have a tough road schedule. But I really like Oregon to be a sleeper pick to make a run for the Final Four uh, because they're so talented. Mario Cristobal had an incredible uh, recruiting season. No one in the ACC has been challenging Clemson for, for top-notch talent, and that's the issue. they they got to find a way. Now, I think Matt Brown's going to have a chance at North Carolina, yeah. uh, and, I, and I think joining David Cutcliffe, who has done the best that he could possibly do at Duke uh, in the triangle area, is really good. NC State, same kind of story. They, they're sort of middle of the rung. Someone from that cobble of teams needs to take a big jump in recruiting and then win some really big games early uh, to make a difference. Right now, not only are they trailing the Pac-12, uh, I think that they're maybe looking up at the American Athletic Conference, too, who has Memphis, UCF, USF, uh, Houston. I mean, these are really good teams that are playing at a very high level right now. That's uh, ACC fans going to be crying going into media days, but it's reality. This conference is in a two years ago. I thought they were on top of the world, and and, and here they yep. are two years later. Last thing I'll ask you about before we go, because we got to go in a minute here, is I, I heard you really touting Clemson. We got a lot of Tiger alums, Tiger fans here. Right. It sounds like I agree with you. I, I would pick Clemson again. I know we're not going out in a huge limb there to win a national title again, but it sounds like you think they could wallop Alabama again. Are you expecting them to be that good? Good and there to be that type yeah. of difference again. You are right. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people say, Mac. They'll say, well, you know, they lost uh, four defensive linemen, a lot of first round picks. Well, look who, look who they recruited. <laughs> you know, I mean, they they are now on a level with Alabama and Georgia with the kind of personnel that they're bringing in year in and year out. All right. So yeah, we may not know who their studs are that are going to be in that defensive front, but I do know this: uh, the quarterback is the best in the country. And I do know this, they've got playmakers, uh, both at wide receiver as well as at running back, and their defense, although it's going to be young, who's really going to test it early? I think because the league is soft, it will help them develop over time. And let's face it, when you play Alabama, it's not going to be about really defensive deficiencies. It's going to be about can you light up Alabama from an offensive standpoint, and I see no reason for Trevor Lawrence not to do the same. Uh, the Crimson Tide has issues in large measure because they're not tested by anyone in the SEC in terms of their perimeter. Stretching the field with its width and also with its vertical passing game is not something that they see a great deal of until they play Clemson. And that's always going to be in Dabo Sweeney's favor. I fully expect a beatdown similar to the one Alabama got last year a two- or three-touchdown victory for Clemson in the title game. A collective yawn and another reason for expansion. Look, I think I would still say that the Pac-12 is worse because while we talk about the maybes with Chip Kelly at UCLA, the maybes with Oregon and Mario Cristobal, those are still maybes. And when you look at the ACC, you have a definite, a definite power in Clemson and then 
somebody else is going to have to be something because you have to have a second and a third place team in the ACC. And so maybe that's Vatek. Maybe that's Miami. Maybe that's somebody else. Maybe it's FSU. But either way, at least you have the known commodity at Clemson, and that's got to count for something. In the Pac-12, none of those teams can be national champs. None of them. And I don't think any of them can even win a game, even if they get to the college football playoffs. So I would still say the Pac-12 is the worst power conference in the U.S. But no doubt it's top-heavy in the ACC. Now, in terms of Clemson's dominance, just how favored will they be in all of these games? Here's Phil Steele, who pours over the Vegas lines and odds every single year. And he says that Clemson will be more than a two-touchdown favorite in every game they play. He joins John and Hugh on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. Clemson football games this year, they will be at least a 17-point favorite in every single game they play this year. And uh, the the closest wow. line, right? The closest line right now in Vegas is against Texas A&M, where they're favored by 17 and a half points. So, wow. yeah, there's a big gap. Now, if we're if we're looking for number two, I'm going to go with Miami. Uh, when I look at Miami, yeah, they have a new head coach, but he doesn't have to go through the normal first-year head coach things. Diaz has been there for four years. Defense has been the strength. They have had a top-ten defense uh, the last couple of years. They've got a top-ten defense again this year. Their linebacking core, Quarterman, Pinckney, and McLeod all return. They're tough up front with Garvin. And offensively, when I talked to Coach Diaz and was going over the team with them this spring, he's very high on the addition of Dan Enos as the offensive coordinator. Thinks he's really going to get a huge improvement out of the quarterback play, which last year was 50%, 14 interceptions. So I look for improved quarterback play with Martell and new offense coordinator Enos. And if they go from below average to just slightly above average on offense with that top 10 defense and their schedule, I rate their schedule number 69 this year. They avoid Clemson during the regular season. If they can get to that ACC title game with just one loss, they're one upset win away from potentially making the playoff, and that's why they're my number two surprise team. But there's a large gap between Clemson and everybody else. Do Clemson. It's Trevor, it's Phil, just broadly. Uh, you've seen, you've been doing this for a long, long time. You've seen a lot of great quarterbacks come down the pike, the Peyton Mannings of the world and and whatnot. How, just if you analyze it, how good is Trevor Lawrence? How good can he be? Uh, he would have been the number one quarterback taken in this past year's draft, coming out as a true sophomore. And uh, I tell you what, the sky's the limit for this guy because he's got everything you want. He's got the size, you know, at six six, two fifteen, and he added weight this year. He got a little bit stronger, which is always a big plus. Uh, he's got the accuracy that you want out of a quarterback hitting sixty eight percent. He can throw the deep ball, the short ball, reads defense as well. Uh, and there's a reason that last year, even though they had Kelly Bryant coming back, I projected Trevor Lawrence as the starter. Uh, he is just a guy that's got every intangible. Plus, he's mobile. He's got the arm strength. Uh, it's tough to find a weakness in Trevor Lawrence's game. Could this potentially be a bounce-back year for Florida State? Yes. In fact, uh, you know, my most improved team list, I always take teams that had losing records the previous year and uh, are improved the next year. Last year, my number one most improved team was Florida. And they went from four and seven all the way up to number seven in the country. Now, I don't think Florida State can get that high, but they are my number three most improved team. And what I like this year, and talking to Coach Saggart this spring going over the team, he felt last year the players might have been a little hurt by Jimbo Fisher making what Florida State fans would consider a lateral move to Texas A&M. 
And uh, the the team was a little depth shy and didn't get quality quarterback play and had a lot of problems and it just sort of snowballed at the end. This year, he says everybody's bought in. They are deeper. They have two to three deep at every position. I think James Blackman holds off Alex Hornerbrook for that starting job. Remember, one of the top running backs heading into last year was Kalen LeBourne. He got injured in week two. He's back joining Akers and Grant. They're loaded there. The key question for Florida State, as it has been for the last five years, is offensive line play. They need that to improve. But if they do, I think Florida State goes from five wins to potentially double-digit wins if the season plays out well and everything goes right. I look for a great start to the season for Florida State, and I've got them coming in second in the Atlantic Division. Not only does that speak to how dominant, how great, how powerful Clemson is, but also does speak to how far some of the other players have fallen, and FSU being the biggest one. I mean, there's no reason that Florida State should have ever been a three-touchdown underdog to anybody in conference, but that's where that program is, and that's where Clemson's program is. I'm interested about Miami because, as Steele just said, Manny Diaz takes over, and it's not like he's never been there. He's been there for a number of years, just promoted or was there for a number of years, but now has been given the head coaching job after a, a little fling with Temple. But Miami has always had talent. Miami will always get talent, but Miami has never been able to put that talent all together. And the fact that, again, they're making this change after just a couple of years where it seemed like Mark Richt was the perfect guy to take over that program for a long time is once more spinning the wheels in Coral Gables. So maybe Diaz is the perfect hire there, but... Miami hasn't been Miami in a long time. It is time to get back there. Over to the NFL, there's tons of expectations with the Cleveland Browns, the addition of Odell Beckham Jr., their growth at the end of last season, promotion of Freddie Kitchens to head coach, the addition of Kareem Hunt as well. A lot of reasons to be optimistic in Cleveland, but are they too optimistic too soon? Here's CBS Sports NFL insider Will Brinson, who joined Baskin and Phelps on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Riddle me this one. I've said this, and people think I'm nuts and don't like hearing me say this. I say the Browns could be significantly improved and win only nine or ten games and miss the playoffs, yet be an improved football team. Might be it might be a year away from that Super Bowl contender rank. That's I mean, look, I'm I've drawn the ire of the city of Cleveland and Browns fans. My buddy Nathan Zagura, who does the Browns Daily podcast. Um, every I, mean, I love I love people in Cleveland. I love, I love Cleveland. I love the Browns. I think the Browns could win seven games and be significantly improved and miss the playoffs. I think they could win eight games. And, but here's the problem is that the expectations have been built up to the point where if Cleveland does anything less than 12-4, and four, a division title, and some kind of look at a playoff run, at a deep playoff run, people are going to be disappointed. And that's, that's dangerous. That's a da- those are dangerous expectations for any team that isn't the New England Patriots. Um, you know, I, mean, I, I get maybe that maybe you could include the Steelers or, I mean, I don't know, like even the Seahawks, right? I mean, the Seahawks have never won uh, less than nine games since Russell Wilson arrived, but it's not like they're penciling in 12 wins, a division title, and, and a look at the AFC championship game. It, it's, it's pretty wild to me. And I, look, I, I think the Browns have a great roster. John Dorsey's done a great job. Um, there are question marks, though. You know, th- what's the deal with this offense? Is it, uh, as I understand it, is Mary Kay Cabot, of the of Cleveland.com pointed out on my podcast, the Pick Six Podcast daily. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, nice. Google Play, where wherever else you get wherever else you get uh, podcasts. He said shamelessly. 
Um, it, uh, you know, we don't know what this offense is. Todd Munkin and Freddie Kitchens are sort of building it out as they go and installing it on the fly. There could be some hiccups out of the gate. You know, Baker Mayfield's a stud, and he's going to be a superstar if he had not won already. Doesn't mean he can't take a small step back heading into his second season after breaking the record for touchdown passes for, for a rookie in the NFL. Um, you know, the offensive line has a couple question marks. Freddie Kitchens, I think, is a great coach. And I think he's going to be a really good head coach, but he's also a first-year head coach, and there's a lot of added responsibility in-game that goes with that. So, to me, there are a lot of questions about the Browns that people seem perfectly willing to gloss over, and that gives me a little bit of pause when you start looking at the 2019 season. All right, so, Will, I said all those things you said last week, and I got crushed for four hours. People just killed me. <laughs> like, and it, It's not that – to me, I'm like, if you're a Browns fan, you probably should just sit here, relax, enjoy what the roster looks like, here we go, and Tennessee's first up the first week of the season for the Browns. But that's not what people want to do here. So I mean, let me let me ask you this question. If you took the name Browns off of this roster and called them the Bears or uh, the oh, not the, uh, the Giants, whatever, how would you look at this team? That uh, Does that make a difference? You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. No, I know. No. no yeah. I mean, I, I, in a weird way, I think that it might make us a little more – I don't know. If, no, I mean, I, I think it's like – totally close to properly rated. They are overrated in the sense, when I say the Browns are overrated, what I mean is when you look at the Vegas odds for their win total and uh, you know, their, their Super Bowl odds, their division odds, they're the favorites to win the division. In my opinion, the Browns' prices are inflated based on this offseason, the hype surrounding them, the fact that they're sort of, I mean, I coined it last year, America's new team. I mean, I think that they are – the, the fun team to follow, this, this team has been downtrodden forever, and they've suddenly maybe put together a roster with a, you know, a, a, a quarterback that everybody loves to get behind. I mean, I, I get it, but it, they're just, they're just, the price is overinflated. There's a bit of a Cowboys factor here. Yeah, I think it's too much too soon for the Browns. I mean, don't get me wrong. They'll be one of the most interesting teams in football, but Baker Mayfield – year number two after all of the attention he got last year and, of course, still being at times pretty immature and a little volatile, how does he handle these expectations? Duke Johnson wanted to be traded. Is he going to be happy? Kareem Hunt comes out of a domestic violence suspension. How does he handle things? Odell Beckham, combustible at best. How does he handle things? And, again, this is a first-time-ever head coach running things in Freddie Kitchens with huge expectations. Cleveland is a city that has dealt with a lot of heartbreak for a really long time, and usually things don't go well. It's distinctly possible these are big expectations and too big for the weight of the shoulders of this Browns franchise. In Dallas, could Ezekiel Elliott be threatening to hold out training camp of the preseason? That's one report that's out there from Pro Football Talk. Here's KNC Masterpiece, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Zeke privately said he's planning... A training camp holdout. 877-881-1053. Autoflex leasing fan text. Is that a smart move or is that a bonehead move for Ezekiel Elliott? So says Mike Florio. Yeah, that's according to Mike Florio. Let's credit Let's credit Florio there. Or maybe potentially blame him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm setting it up for a blame. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Is this, I mean, here you are, uh, what, two years out from your contract being wrapped up. Is that two years? 
and then is that what it is? A fifth year option, three, three. years out. Oh, from oh, it? oh! In terms of when it expires, yeah. gotcha. Yes, two um, years. So you got that going on, and the Cowboys are in a position of, I mean, they're getting ready to make the run, and I, I don't like this because of I think it's a huge gamble on his part. Okay. I think it's I think it's a real big gamble because if you hold out during training camp, I feel like you are giving the Cowboys an opportunity to, and they're going to get it anyway because you don't play training camp mostly. And luckily, hopefully he does it anyway because I'd rather him be healthy for game one. But you're giving them a very good look and a good reason to take a look at all the other running backs they have on the roster. And there's a guy that really wants that job. I mean, he's a rookie and he's ready to you know show that he can be an Alvin Kamara type player. And so you give them that opportunity to to do it. Now, that being said, they could see it and say, well, that's not exactly what we thought it was going to be, and we're in trouble. Now, two, one of two things could happen. They say, we got to make a trade for Duke Johnson because he wants out. Let's go ahead and try and get that guy over here. Or they say, well, our best option is to go ahead and get a contract redone with Ezekiel Elliott because he'll give us the opportunity to win a championship this year. I don't want to. I, I still think yeah. it's a game on his part. The Cowboys can just kind of sit and wait. I mean, they really don't have to, but it's it's a it's a big gamble on his part. So I don't think it's smart from his perspective. I don't want to give him a new contract, but I am intrigued by you do whatever it takes to load up for this year because this could be a championship year and it's the last year of cheap Dak. And I I appreciate that. Why don't you want to give him a long a longer term contract uh, well i don't value the position of running back like that and i think the meg the first mega uh running back contract that's been given out under the new terms you're gonna you've seen is already primed to be a disaster in todd Gurley. like that thing is gonna destroy them uh maybe not destroy them because they have a lot of other young talent i think it's really gonna affect their ability to stay top level for years and years to come. Although, do do the terms of that situation change how you feel on that because it is like this injury situation, or does that make your point? Oh stronger? no, that's exactly why. That is exactly why I think that is um, a mistake. And, and so, like, I just don't value the position given how it gets used up and thrown away in the NFL. And that's one so of the. Are you, are you more intent on just continuing to draft? Yes. Uh, you yes. Know, random guys to play in the position then? Absolutely. So not, 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 because I, I, I don't think that there's any way that he's not going to command a premium, all right? Sure. Or, or demand a premium. He's a really, but he's a if, great player. You know, Zeke. It's amazing because this is another offseason where he's in trouble, where he gets into trouble with the security at a music festival for pushing down a security guard, getting into an altercation, a verbal argument with his girlfriend or whoever the girl was, and now he's threatening for more money. This is the plight of running backs where they just have to be constantly paranoid about not getting paid their next contract because they get used up in the NFL and nobody wants to give them that second deal. In Dallas... I mean, I think he's got a lot of leverage because even though he's acted like a fool many times, he's been incredibly productive when on the field. And if they're going to give Dak Prescott a ton of money out of the franchise quarterback, they'll definitely be scared into giving Zeke money because how good is Dak without the threat of a really good ground game? To me, the Cowboys are going to have to pay him because that's what they're going to have to do 
to protect their investment of Dak, and they've said all the things about wanting to sign Dak long-term, I got to think those are almost a package deal. And finally, a 97.1 The Ticket in Detroit. Interesting conversation here with Jamie and Stoney. Of the four major sports, who is the healthiest and who is in the most trouble? Could baseball be the least healthy of them? Let's listen in. Least healthy, I, I think, is is obvious. I think it's baseball. I, I really least do. Healthy? Uh, yeah. It's almost I, like we had to put hockey aside because hockey's in a totally different stratosphere, but... It can be. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's much more niche. I, I just baseball to me, it doesn't doesn't do anything, and they haven't been progressive at all. It almost seems like baseball and a lot of the players are trying to fight making some changes. And you know, look, I'm not trying to say you got to change the entire game to placate to this next generation that's not interested in sitting down for four hours to watch a one nothing you know baseball game, but. You got to do something. You know, you, you got to come up with a couple of different ways to have more offense. And I know the home runs are up and people like to see that. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of action on the base pass. You know, we could see more steals. I love the idea of potentially adding being able to you know steal first base. No, you don't. 100%. Why I not? At- I want people on the base pass. That makes it interesting. I, I'm I'm all for some of the changes that are being talked about, taking away the shift and even the computer umpiring. I don't think that's the worst idea of all mm-hmm. time. But stealing first base, come on. Why are you against that? Because it's not. It goes against the fabric of the game. No, it doesn't. Because yes, see, it does. No, no. Uh, how many times do we see when you know there's nobody on base and a pitcher un- they, they know without a shadow of a doubt they can throw one in the dirt with no without being penalized. Or penalized, however you want to pronounce it. I hate that. If you add in you don't the hate fact that I do, if you okay. add in the fact that they could you could steal first, it puts the onus back on the pitcher to have more control and the catcher to make sure they're getting in front of a ball because the ball gets away quite often and nothing happens. Okay, I I I don't say this very often, but I think you're lying. Because you never even th- Nobody ever thought of stealing first until the Atlantic League came up with this rule like a week ago. I agree. You you were never sitting at a game, at a Tiger game, going, stupid pitcher, you can get away with anything when there's nobody on base. No, but sometimes... You you just said you hated that. You don't hate that. I do hate that there's no repercussion. No, you don't. And and that's why it makes sense to me. You've never said that before in your entire life. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You have. You've you've, you've watched a baseball game, you turn to the guy next to you and go, you know, I hate there's no repercussion for throwing a wild pitch with nobody on base. Okay, maybe I haven't turned to a buddy (laughs) and actually said it out loud, but it is bothersome. (laughs) No, it's not. You know, like, why, why should you be able to get away with that? In terms of being least healthy, I think hockey has to be considered as much only because their television deal is still well beyond and behind the other three. And their revenue just isn't what the other three can do, and nor is their national recognition and notoriety. But in terms of the other three, football, baseball, basketball, the healthiest uptick right now is basketball. If you can buy stock in the NBA, you got to do it because it's only going to continue to ascend. Football's control over the culture is obvious, but is football going to have that control in 10 or 20 years when families don't want their kids actually playing the sport And there could be litigation over CTE, the health of the sport. I mean, the violence in the sport is still going to be a real thing no matter what. I think in baseball, it's a problem because they have not had a a way to modernize alongside the NFL and the NBA. They always seem to be a step behind in marketing their players and making individuals out of their stars has been a problem for them for a long time. So, yeah, I would say out of those three, it would be baseball is the least healthy, although... I would have to put hockey 
less than than baseball simply because the revenue share and where they are in the national pecking order is always going to be behind the other three. That's the best of your sports talk for Tuesday, July the 16th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 